Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Good evening, everyone. I'm Allison Camerata, and this is CNN Tonight. An unprecedented moment in U.S. history. Former President Donald Trump indicted by a grand jury in New York. It's the first time that a current or former U.S. president has faced criminal charges. The indictment is under seal tonight, but more information will be announced in the coming days. Sources tell CNN that the former president is facing more than 30 counts related to business fraud. A defiant Donald Trump issuing an angry statement tonight calling this political persecution. Let's turn right away to CNN correspondent Kara Skinnell and CNN senior crime and justice reporter Caitlin Polance. Kara, what happens next? Well, Allison, next we expect that on Tuesday, the former president is expected to come here to New York to go into the courthouse behind me and be arraigned on these charges. Now, that day, we will also expect to have the indictment unsealed. Then we will learn the specifics. What are the charges that he is facing and what evidence do prosecutors put in this indictment to explain how they're supporting the case? But for the bread and butter, the Secret Service will get him here. There's underground tunnels. It's one way that they can move him in. They'll obviously want to secure the area. But the process despite the extraordinary security measures and the historic moment, will be what any other person would would experience. He will come in, he will be surrendered to the authorities, he will be fingerprinted, he'll have his mugshot taken, and then he will walk down a hallway, likely, there's usually a row of cameras there, and then enter the courtroom. Sometimes defendants enter the courtroom wearing handcuffs. It's at the discretion of the DA's office. It remains to be seen what they will do here. But then he will enter the courtroom, and then he will go before the judge, and the judge will ask him to enter a plea in this case. And we expect that plea to be not guilty. His lawyers come out with a strong statement that they are going to fight these charges in court. Uh, They have been critical of the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg saying that there was no crime committed here. Allison? Okay. Uh, Caitlin, obviously this is not the only investigation of Donald Trump. Do we know if there was any coordination between the DA in Manhattan and the others in terms of the timing here? We don't right now. And it would be very unusual for there to be. Usually the federal uh, investigators work quite separately from even other federal investigators, let alone the state investigation. As far as we know about these other investigations, though, Donald Trump is facing serious legal jeopardy on a lot of different fronts. Now he has these charges that he is going to have to face in New York, in Manhattan. That's a state case. But there are also two very significant federal cases, as well as the state case in Georgia, potentially that could be brought against him. We know he is under investigation and it's for different behavior than what has been investigated in New York City. In New York City, it's for what happened in 2016 and as far as we know related to his company. But the January 6th investigation, that is for what happened in the closing days of Donald Trump's presidency. And then the Mar-a-Lago documents investigation, another very serious federal criminal investigation. That is about what happened after the presidency with documents that he took to Mar-a-Lago. And so all of these investigations right now, they are showing signs 
signs that they are very mature, potentially at the very end. We know the Georgia uh, prosecutors there are looking at potentially bringing charges at this point. And in the district court in D.C., those are the federal cases, we know that the grand jury activity has been quite uh, intense lately, that they also are bringing in witnesses and have very high-end witnesses, people very close to the former president coming in. So it's a lot of different things that the former president and his lawyers are fielding right now, not just this travel to New York to face the new indictment. Allison? Okay. Caitlin, Kara, we should remind everyone that you broke this story for CNN tonight. We really appreciate both of your reporting. Thank you very much for that. All right, I want to bring in now our panel. We have CNN legal analyst Jennifer Rogers, a former assistant U.S. attorney. Also with us, Nick Ackerman, former assistant special Watergate prosecutor, and John Miller, CNN's chief law enforcement and intelligence analyst. Guys, thank you very much for being here with us on this uh, special coverage tonight. Nick, I've spoken to you many times on this program, and you always felt confident that this was going to happen. No question about it. I mean, exactly what I'm not confident on is exactly what those charges are going to be. Uh, We know that the the Daniels hush payments are part of this, the Stormy Daniels payments. Um, But we don't know if there's more to it, if there's more to it about falsification of records in the Trump organization, particularly in light of the fact that the state attorney general brought a case where there were lots of different faults, financial statements, insurance fraud, uh, bank fraud. So what I'm looking for when this indictment comes out is to see exactly what the scope of this indictment charges. John, you broke the news that it's bigger than people had expected, 30, more than 30 different counts. Do we have any insight into what some of those might be? Uh, falsification of business records. Uh, but I wouldn't read too much or too little into, you know, the more than 30 counts because, you know, if I stole your ATM card, that would be a grand larceny. But they would charge me with one count of grand larceny for every time I used it, even though that's a single theft. Um, in this case, they've looked at every document that was filed, every uh, everything that was written or sent, you know, or submitted in the course of making this payment or these payments uh, that was proposed as for some purpose other than its true purpose. So that's where the number of counts come from. Um, Jennifer, we just spoke to Michael Cohen, who is considered the key witness in this case. And you heard Donald Trump go after him tonight. We've heard Donald Trump's attorneys go after him, basically saying that he's a convicted um, felon and that he has lied in the past. Michael Cohen told us about how this case does not just hinge on his testimony. So here he is. I am a convicted felon. I am a disbarred lawyer, but I also brought the documents. Uh, There's plenty of testimony, corroborating testimony to go around. And come Tuesday- How do you know that all these witnesses were corroborating your testimony? um, Let's just say I know. Uh, I was there 22 times, so- there's things that I that I know, things that I believe um, corroborate. And at the end of the day, we have an indictment today. Yeah. So clearly, that means that the information provided was more than enough for the grand jury to come back with a determination for an indictment. Oh, by the way, for Donald, since we're talking about convicted felons, see you on Tuesday, pal. We will have much more of our interview with Michael Cohen uh, coming up. So what do you think about the um, strength of the case? 
Well, look, I think he's right that they wouldn't bring this case based on his testimony alone. They have to corroborate him. And there are documents. There are other witnesses. That is how you corroborate your witnesses, especially witnesses who have issues like Michael Cohen does, being a convicted felon and a convicted perjurer, effectively. So, you know, I think he's right about that. That's what prosecutors are going to have to lean on. We'll just have to see exactly how much is corroborated. Are they relying on him for things that are not corroborated? uh, Or is everything corroborated? You know, it's the best thing in the world if you can stand up in the end and say, you think Michael Cohen is a liar? Fine. I'll tell you why he's not. Look at all this corroboration. You don't even have to believe him because you have all of this other evidence. Will Donald Trump know what is in the indictment against him? Very likely that the prosecutors will tell his attorney what's in there. Before the the arraignment. Yes. And and that may result in the indictment being released a little bit earlier than the arraignment, because when he goes in, the judge is going to ask him whether he wants to have the indictment read. And no one's going to want to waste that time. Um, So I think, yeah, I'm kind of hoping that we get this sooner than later. And what do you think about the strength of this case, having heard what Michael Cohen says about Oh, how- I, I, I think it's totally corroborated. It's two witnesses, for starters. It's David Pecker and Michael Cohen, who both have direct testimony on Donald Trump. They also have a tape with uh, Michael Cohen uh, talking to Donald Trump about the uh, payment to... Uh, the, Karen the, McDougal. Yeah, Karen McDougal. Um, there are lots of documents... Um, Once you've got two witnesses who are saying the same thing, you got a tape, you got documents. um, It's a pretty good case. Now, if you had three, it's a. Well, they have spoken to more than. Oh, of course. And there may be three. There may be three witnesses or four witnesses. I mean, other parts of the case can also be corroborated. Parts that aren't aren't quite as criminal or kind of innocent parts of it may be corroborated. So uh, this may be a pretty strong case at the end of the day. What are you looking for, John? Well, I'm looking at two things. One, the corroboration is is key. But as you heard Michael Cohen tell you tonight, um, he's been there 22 times. And how does he know there's corroboration? He says, well, I know. But what he's saying is they have, as I have testified, they have handed me documents and said, do you recognize this email? Have you seen this text message? Uh, Are you aware of this submission? And that has given him a window into not just the testimony and documents that he's provided, but that that's been given by others. Jen, I was just asking, Caitlin, about the coordination between prosecutors, because this isn't the only investigation of Donald Trump. And she was saying it would be highly unusual. But would it? I mean, in terms of do you think that there was any phone call whatsoever between I know you probably don't know the answer, but between would it be customary between Alvin Bragg and the special prosecutor in Washington and what's going on in um, Georgia? I don't think there's a like what are you doing? What do you got? When are you going to pull the trigger? I don't think there's any of that stuff going on. I mean, for law enforcement purposes, there's often coordination. I mean, if someone's going to do a search or an arrest and there's something you know that's coming and you know there's another investigation to the same person, you're definitely going to have coordination on that level. And, you know, the feds have uh, local law, law enforcement officials on their squad so that you can do that kind of coordination. But the prosecutors are not talking amongst themselves about who's doing what, except that I think there might be some coordination uh, between the Fulton County investigation and the special counsel in the sense that there's a lot of overlap there. So I wouldn't be surprised uh, if there was some of that there. But it's not to coordinate for this purpose, and it's not really to coordinate the bringing of charges. But over the course of a year, indictments lead to trials. And then they're really the the office of the special counsel, Fulton County, Georgia, Manhattan DA are going to have to coordinate because the defendant and the defendant's defense team 
um, can't be in all those places at once. So they're going to have to they're going to have to stack these um, as these charges if these charges. But because come this through. was indicted first, does that mean it will go to trial first or not? Not necessarily. necessarily. And you know there are arguments that the January sixth investigation involves more serious uh, crimes, or that the Fulton County uh, is a stronger case. Uh, so I mean they're going to have to negotiate this not just between the prosecutor's offices, but will it be the same team of lawyers for each case, or will they have different defense teams because the, the violations are different? So this is gonna get, this is gonna get complicated. What, the question I keep getting is, are we gonna see a Donald Trump perp walk? Think of the implications of that for a former president of the United States on Tuesday, and I don't think we are. The reason I don't think we are is part mechanics and part practicality and part deference, which is he's going to come into the Manhattan District Attorney's office and go up to the squad where he will go through the process of being booked in their detective squad room. They have their own detective squad. Then transferring him to court is usually where we would be accustomed to seeing the detectives walking the defendant handcuffed, you know, hands behind the back. Um, in this case, we've never seen this before. But you have a defendant who's under Secret Service protection. Um, as a, somebody who's been through the dignitary protection course uh, that the Secret Service uses, you do not want your protectee handcuffed. If you have to move them, push them, pull them, you know, you want to have full control of them. So I think the Secret Service is going to end up saying in this custody agreement, we'll walk with you from the office to the courtroom. We may take a back way so we're not exposed to a large number of people, but I don't think we're going to see our Donald Trump uh, perp walk at all. And I think it's going to be for perfectly legitimate reasons. Friends, thank you very much for all of the expertise. Really helpful. All right. So Donald Trump is expected, as you've been hearing, to turn himself in on Tuesday. Uh, what is it like to have to arrest a former president? John just gave us some clues, but how will exactly it go down? We have a former NYPD and former Secret Service officers here to tell us what they expect. A banner headline across the front page of the New York Times revealing the gravity and the history of Donald Trump's indictment as the first former president to face criminal charges. Tonight, law enforcement in New York City setting up security after news of the indictment broke. Joining us now, we have CNN law enforcement analyst Jonathan Wackrow, a former Secret Service agent, Darren Porcher, a former NYPD officer, and presidential historian Douglas Brinkley. Gentlemen, thank you very much for being here. Um, I will start with you, Jonathan, because we just heard from John Miller, who kind of spelled out for us what he expects to see on Tuesday. Of course, there's not going to be a perp walk of a former yeah. president. I mean, I think that that... I think that that would be upsetting to many people, whether you are a supporter or not of Donald Trump. But it is the first time that someone will have Secret Service duty with him for um, an arrest or an arraignment. So what will that look like? Well, first of all, you have to understand what the Secret Service role is in all of this, right? In uh, they're not, they don't have a coordinating role. This is not a, a presidential event. This is not a campaign event. It's not a speech. This is private business that the former president has to do before the court. So their primary responsibility is what their responsibility is for every protectee, which is getting them from point A to point B safely, let them do the business, and leave. So they're not coordinating the, the aspects of the surrender, uh, what, you know, what the optics are going to look like, nothing. 
That is between uh, the defendant's uh, attorney. It's between the DA's office, the court officers, not the Secret Service. They are there just to do the pure elements of their job, which is protection. Now, to uh, Commissioner Miller's point earlier, the Secret Service will be there. uh, So there's not a necessity to have uh, the former president in handcuffs. He's not going anywhere. He's under law enforcement protection to begin with. So there will be some courtesies given because of uh, the fact that he was a former um, former president. How big will the detail be? Uh, I don't want to get into the, sure, the security yeah, um, the security aspects of it, but what I will say is it doesn't matter how big the detail is. You're going to have, what, 35,000 uniformed police officers on duty throughout the course of that day protecting the city of New York. So from a, uh, from a uh, consequence management standpoint, there's a lot of security protocols going on. The city will be safe. The courthouse will be safe. Uh, and, and he'll be able to do his job. But I just want to go to one point. Even with the Secret Service, even with the protection, there still will be that moment when the former president is charged. And what I mean by that, he's taken into custody. I think this will be the first time in Donald Trump's life where he loses control. He is no longer in control of a narrative. He's no longer in control of movement. He will be materially restricted. And that will be a humbling moment. It will really be interesting to see, does that empower the former president more or does that you know, you know, change his attitude? And I've seen individuals, I know in your career you have as well, the moment that that happens when they're being booked and they're being processed, you can actually see the change in somebody. So it'll be interesting to see how that happens on, uh, on the day that he appears before the court. Aaron, what's happening at the NYPD right now and what will happen on Tuesday? Well, it's a very interesting narrative because this is somewhat of an aberration because we've never had a prior president taken into custody to answer for an indictment. One of the things that the NYPD has that works to their benefit would be the teachable moments from January 6th. The NYPD is going to look at the after-action review as to what went right, what went wrong in connection with the January 6th disturbance. They're going to apply that to how they manage the courthouse or the overall lower Manhattan area in terms of a safety matrix. The NYPD is now on high alert. All plainclothes officers are now in uniform. But this becomes more and more of a challenging narrative based on Donald Trump. Because what we, all, what we really would like to see is Donald Trump walk in, accept the, uh, the indictment, and then move forward. Because he's not going to be held in custody. However, if Donald Trump then decides to make a speech, then it now garners the possibility of more onlookers to come in and view what's going on. Which makes it a more... Um, challenging narrative for the police to manage. The NYPD is the best in the business in connection with managing large-scale instances of this magnitude. And i give you an example. On New Year's Eve in the Times Square area, we have millions of people that come into New York City and we manage it well, such as pedestrian pens, things to that effect. In addition to that, the NYPD has something we refer to as a ring of steel, which is a network of cameras that captures information which can uh, add Act as viable intelligence for officers to engage a, p- a potential dispute that can occur. But as we move forward, we have a lot of narratives, but ultimately it's Donald Trump that'll determine the fact if this thing uh, shuts down or it continues as it did on January 6th. Really interesting. Um, Doug, tell us your thoughts on this historic moment. I don't think it's going to be a humbling experience for him. I think his hubris <laughs> is going to be flared up. Uh, I think he's going to see it as a reality TV moment that he's going to be walking there and people cheering. Remember when 
he got COVID and he uh, went to uh, you know Walter Reed and was seen in the back of the limo and then he ripped the mask off. Uh, it's going to be drama. He's a he's a drama king. That's really what he is. And he's not going to want to seem to be slinking in and slinking out. Um, the the more interesting thing to me is Trump is going out as an outlaw or becoming reelected as an outlaw. Meaning, I'm always asked, I'm tired of being asked to compare Donald Trump to other U.S. presidents. There are all the other presidents, and then there's Trump. What he plays in is a outlaw American um, pension. Meaning, he's more. He just the other day mentioned Jesse James in a talk, the bank robber, Billy the Kid, Evil Knievel. Um, this is his tribe. And this is showtime. This is Evil Knievel flying over Snake Canyon in 1974. All the cameras of the world are going to be when he walks in there. The idea that he's going to kind of put his head down and, and play Boy Scout is highly unlikely. The fundraising's begun. Lindsey Graham tonight's all over TV saying, here's where to wire money to. And it was stunning to me. Lindsey Graham's on television crying today. His whole eyes of, look what they've done to Donald J. Trump. So in the short term, the whole Republican um, party's going to rally and make a martyr out of Trump. And we're going to play that Lindsey Graham sound for everybody coming up. Gentlemen, thank you all very much. Really appreciate it. Former Vice President Mike Pence talking to CNN about Donald Trump's indictment. We're going to play for you also what he said. And former Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger will react right after this. Republicans reacting tonight to Donald Trump's indictment. Former Vice President Mike Pence calls the decision a political move. I think the unprecedented indictment of a former president of the United States on a campaign finance issue is an outrage. And and it appears to to millions of Americans to be nothing more than a political prosecution that's driven by a prosecutor who literally ran for office on a pledge to indict the former president. When you have an attorney general in New York and a Manhattan DA that targeted one particular American in their campaigns, I think that offends the notion of of the overwhelming majority of the American people who believe in fairness, who believe in equal treatment before the law. And this appears to be just one more example, Wolf, of the kind of two-tiered justice system that uh, the American people have had enough of. Joining me now, former congressman and CNN senior political commentator Adam Kinzinger. Congressman, um, your thoughts tonight. Well, in hearing what Mike Pence said, I'm not surprised. It's probably basically what he had to say. Uh, You know, I think with this whole thing, it's we there's so many people that have an opinion already. And nobody's gotten an advanced copy of this indictment. Lindsey Graham hasn't gotten it. You know, my Republican colleagues haven't gotten it. We simply don't know what it is, what it reads. Keep in mind, Michael Cohen spent some time in jail for this exact thing. So, you know, my thoughts tonight are it's it's a somber moment. I think we should there should be nobody in this country that is celebrating an indictment of a former president. We've been a country that hasn't had that yet. Um, it's embarrassing that we do have a president that has that. But let's wait and see what the indictment actually looks like before we start jumping to conclusions about this being political. I mean, obviously, that's great advice, but could it be more than this Stormy Daniels hush money payment? I mean, in other words, what do you expect to be in there? Well, I think what's going to be interesting, and I don't know, because, you know, it's not a case I've investigated, but what is the link to the business? What did the president know? 
What did he know about covering up the payment? Because, by the way, number a number of members of Congress uh, have been indicted for campaign finance issues. Like, it's not like this is nothing. So, you know, yeah, sometimes you have a campaign finance violation that's overlooked and the FEC, the Federal Election Commission, comes in and either issues a fine or has you fix that issue. Um, but whenever you have something that is blatantly done, it is very rare that I, I know House members, so that's what I'll speak to, that a House member that gets caught doing something blatantly is not severely penalized. So it'll be interesting to read, you know, with 30 some counts to see where that looks. I will say this, if it appears to be very thin, that's not going to go well for this DA. But assuming he has a tight case and assuming it's a legitimate case, which I have no reason to not assume it is, uh, my Republican colleagues need to basically just take a take a bit of a deep breath, go through the weekend here and actually see what this says before they make a decision. Okay, well, one person who I don't think has taken a deep breath this evening is Senator Lindsey Graham, who you referred to. So let's listen to his reaction to all this. This is legal voodoo. You got a misdemeanor that's been made a felony. Nobody in the history of New York City has ever been prosecuted under this theory except for Donald J. Trump. This case will fall like a cheap suit under legal scrutiny. Give the president some money to fight this bull****. This is going to destroy America. We're going to fight back at the ballot box. We're not going to give in. How does this end, Sean? Trump wins in court, and he wins the election. That's how this wins. Congressman, your thoughts listening? I, well, first off, I miss the old Lindsay. You know, the one I traveled with, the one who was friends with John McCain. The first half of his statement, you know, I thought it was it was it was fine to the extent that he obviously has an opinion. He's going to share it. When you trans, when you switch over into fundraising and the anger and the emotion that he had, look, if he should be, if he's sad about anything, he should be sad that his party, my party, the party of Abraham Lincoln, has a man that is being indicted, that has potentially other indictments looming, whether it's from January 6th or Georgia, that has destroyed, that has utterly destroyed the reputation of the Republican Party. The reputation, frankly, of, you know, people that declare Christianity. You've seen a lot of pastors and stuff get behind this and say that it's this is no problem. It's okay to lie. And if you like this to me is what I would shed tears on if I was Lindsay, not because Donald Trump hasn't raised enough money off of it. I, you know, look, I, I get it. He's a politician. Um, he's a good politician, I guess, in terms of getting reelected. I just I, I, I wish people had more red lines that they were unwilling to cross than they do. Adam Kinzinger, great to talk to you tonight. Thank you. You bet. Okay, so the impact on the political landscape is a little unclear tonight, but we do have some clues about what the public thinks of Donald Trump being indicted. Stay with us. So what will the upshot be politically of Donald Trump's indictment? Joining me now is Sarah Matthews, former Trump deputy press secretary. We also have CNN senior political commentators, David Axelrod and Scott Jennings. Friends, thanks so much for being here. Sarah, I'll start with you because you worked for President Trump. Um, we all know his talent for being able to, you know, play the victim card when he thinks it's advantageous. How do you think that this will turn out politically for him? 
So I definitely think in the short term, um, you're going to see him uh, turn this into a a spectacle. We've already seen him uh, start fundraising off of it. And I have no doubt that um, he'll continue to do that and uh, urge his allies to go out there and be on air um, criticizing this case. But that's the thing is that we don't know the merits of this case. We need to wait and see what the charges are that are being brought against him, what the evidence is. So I think it's a little premature to see a lot of Republicans out there criticizing it. Um, But I do think in the short term, this will benefit him. Um, I think that you're going to see it harden uh, the support for him among his base. But I think that long term, uh, I think among independents um, and some conservative voters, you're going to see them say that, hey, it looks like he has too much baggage and he's not electable. And I don't think it's a net gain for him. David, your thoughts? Well, I think that at the end of the day, it's probably true that being indicted won't be a net gain for him. But I think in the short run, he will rally his base. I think we're going to find out that he will cement his base here and he will also uh, very much cement his ceiling. Uh, And, uh, you know, I thought he played uh, this like a Stradivarius when he announced that he was going to be arrested that Tuesday morning. Every... uh, uh, you know, or not every, but many Republicans fell in line. He got the exact response he wanted, got the Congress mobilized to investigate the district attorney and cast the whole thing as a political prosecution. Now, at the end of the day, there'll be a case. He'll have to defend himself. We'll see what the jury has to say. Uh, but as a political matter in the short run, I think this, this, this could give him a boost. It certainly will energize his base. Do you feel differently, Scott? No, uh, but I'm also looking at the long-term implications. I mean, this may be one of the first times in his whole political life that he's actually been on the right side of public opinion. The Quinnipiac did a big survey just this week, and 62% of all Americans thought this case was motivated by politics, only 32% motivated by the law. That included 95% of Republicans, 70% of independents, and even 30% of Democrats thought it was motivated by politics. So the way you see him playing it here in the short run, actually, the American people do agree with him. The long-term implications, though, to me, you know, I've still got my eye on the other cases. The Georgia case, January 6th, the the Mar-a-Lago documents case. You know, I I view this whole thing as a sack, and you're putting rocks in a sack. This might be a small pebble uh, by the time all the cases get adjudicated, and if he gets indicted for one or more of those other issues, that sack is going to get pretty hard to carry around. But I agree with our Uh, other panelists tonight. Short run, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Virtually every Republican, even the people that don't want to vote for Trump again, uh, think this is a bunch of garbage. And and obviously they're not uh, shy about coming out and saying it tonight. Um, So you all agree. One thing, thing, Allison, I wanted to say was you listen to all these Republicans who have been speaking out tonight, sending tweets. We heard Lindsey Graham. Um, The question is, what are they going to say when these other indictments come down is and does this case color all those cases or do they look um, do they look foolish uh, defending him uh, to the degree that they've been uh, defending him? I agree with Scott that this is the you know, just in terms of the optics, this is the weakest of the case. I've said before, anytime you put the, 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 the clause novel legal theory together with the words porn star, you got to think about that case as whether that's a, you know, the case you want to bring. But uh, we know that this is part of a series of cases or one of a series of cases. 
The others are, 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 are quite serious. I'm not dismissing the seriousness of this. And they're going to come, you know, and he may get indicted on one or all of them. And, you know, how, the question is how much how many bricks does the load take? But I do say this, and I, I ask both of you as Republicans, my sense is that there is a re- irreducible core to uh, Trump's base. And the question is just where is it? And is it enough to keep him competitive in a Republican primary? I don't think he can win a general election with this load. But uh, can he win a a nomination? And I think that's the question that remains to be seen. Well, let me phrase it a little bit differently, because, Sarah, when you say you all agree that in the short term, this is beneficial. What is the short term, meaning the primary, meaning this will help him leapfrog any other, you know, possible Ron DeSantis uh, in terms of popularity for the primary? Yeah, I think it's definitely going to serve uh, to benefit him in the primary contest. We've already seen some of his 2024 um, opponents or, um, you know, potential opponents come out and criticize uh, the DA here and call this um, a weaponization and um, say that this is politically motivated, um, which, you know, only serves to help Trump to have people who are running against him for the nomination to be defending him in this case. And so I do think that um, it's going to help him. We saw him get a fundraising boost when the Mar-a-Lago raid happened. I expect the same thing to happen with this, with the indictment coming down. And so it I will help him uh, potentially secure the Republican nomination, but there still is a lot of time between now and those nominating contests. So I think as um other cases move forward that those may also uh, do harm to him. So we just need to wait and see how those other investigations uh, into him unfold. Scott, I'm out of time, but I'll give you the last word quickly. Yeah, well, I think Trump's really good at drawing bright apocalyptic lines. It's us versus them. So the way he's going to work Republicans now is to say, look, even if you were considering backing any opponent of mine in the primary, you have to understand by doing that, you're actually citing with Alvin Bragg and these out-of-control prosecutors. And so uh, for primary purposes, it's, it's, a, it's another tool for him. And obviously, if you look at them, some of this polling, I mean, 95% of Republicans and the one I referenced earlier think it's a political prosecution. He's got a lot to work with there. Thank you all. Great to talk to you tonight. Meanwhile, Donald Trump's indictment happening, of course, in his former hometown of New York City. Next, we'll speak to two former New York congressmen about what that means to Donald Trump. Sources tell CNN former President Trump will be arraigned in Manhattan on Tuesday. Alvin Bragg, the New York district attorney, is the first prosecutor, but perhaps not the last, to bring an indictment against Donald Trump. New York, of course, is Donald Trump's hometown. He's even stamped his name onto buildings across the city. So how will New York react to this and how will he react in New York? Joining me now, two former congressmen from New York, Lee Zeldin, a Republican, and Max Rose, a Democrat. Gentlemen, great to have you here. Uh, Congressman Zeldin, um, I'm guessing that Donald Trump may not have the affection for New York that he once had, but what do you think of this? I think that you're going to see people rallying on both sides, but I'm not expecting to see riots. Uh, And I think it's important to continue to encourage any protests that take place, take place peacefully. Uh, for anyone on either side of this issue, uh, the, the NYPD already has their hands full, the Secret Service as well, uh, and allowing them to work out their logistics and keep law and order is something that is, uh, it really should be top priority for everybody involved. 
And you know Donald Trump a bit. I mean, he endorsed you. I know that you've interacted with him. Um, what does it mean to him that his hometown, that he's been indicted in his hometown? I think that this is more of a reflection of the district attorney, Alvin Bragg. I don't think he would view this as, you know, New York City or New York State has indicted him. This is uh, something that is being led by the district attorney in Manhattan. Uh, And I think that if you were to ask him what his feelings or emotions are, I I don't know. I'm just speculating here. Uh, I think that he would be most upset specifically with the district attorney for bringing this case. Uh, I would imagine, and he's spoken about how he views this as a political prosecution. Uh, Many others feel the same way. In the last segment, he just uh, covered that poll. You're seeing some people who are outspoken on this case who don't even like Donald Trump, uh, there's a, a, a member of Congress. He just left Peter uh, Meher from uh, Michigan. He actually voted to impeach Donald Trump. But he's like one of the people come to mind who are speaking out very strongly against this as a political prosecution and why this is bad. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what the average everyday American, middle of the road, center American thinks of this, whether or not they agree that it's a political prosecution. Congressman Rose, your thoughts? Well, first of all, we have to take a step back and consider just how astounding this moment is, irrespective of what you consider the merits of the case are. For the first time in our nation's history, former president of the United States potentially will be in handcuffs. The Secret Service right now. But we've heard from all the police that that he won't necessarily be in handcuffs. He's going to have a Secret Service detail around him. He certainly wants to be in handcuffs. We, We know that. But the Secret Service is right now casing where he will be at least processed uh, in, in this facility. We've never seen something like this, and we should not take it lightly on either side of the aisle. And there is no doubt, though, that Donald Trump, the Republican Party, is coalescing around him in a manner that I find unbelievable. The fact that his opponents in the presidential primary, those who are declared and not yet declared, are rallying to his defense It would seem sensible to me that if your opponent is getting indicted, you use that as an opportunity to criticize them, not support them. But this is the politics of Donald Trump. And it's just it blows me away. And I think it's blowing a lot of other people away as well. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Really appreciate you coming in. We'll obviously see what happens next week. And of course, we're all um, hoping for uh, a peaceful exchange, however that goes. Thank you. All right, don't go anywhere. Our live coverage of today's major breaking news continues. Donald Trump has been indicted, becoming the first U.S. president ever to be criminally charged. Former President Trump Indicted by a New York grand jury. Sources say he's facing more than 30 counts related to business fraud. He is expected to turn himself in on Tuesday and appear in court for an arraignment. I want to bring in CNN senior crime and justice reporter Caitlin Polance and CNN reporter Elena Treen. Uh, Ladies, thank you very much for being here. So, Caitlin, what should Americans expect on Tuesday when Donald Trump is scheduled to turn himself in? Well, Alison, this will be a highly coordinated and historic moment, obviously, with Donald Trump being the first president, former president, to ever face criminal charges uh, like this. And he will be going to New York City. We know that already. We also know 
from the district attorney in Manhattan that they're, they have been in touch with Donald Trump's team to coordinate this to make sure that he is going to be surrendering. So what's going to happen is he does have to travel to New York and he is going to be facing his charges arrested like anyone else. He will be able to voluntarily self bring voluntarily bring himself in, uh, but he will have to appear in court. He'll be fingerprinted uh, and such. And, and there are going to be pains. There will be uh, they will make painstakingly make sure that he is treated like any other type of defendant. He will be photographed. He will be provided uh, a room to talk to people in. He will be brought before the judge. He'll be read his charges. His lawyers will then be able to enter a plea for him, uh, which by all indication, it appears he'll say he is not guilty uh, and that he is going to fight these charges. And then, of course, though, there is always the political side of this and the scene. It is Manhattan. And there is always a question of of what Donald Trump and his supporters will be doing uh, in there and to keep the focus on that proceeding in the courthouse. Alana, do we have reporting on what the mood is inside Trump world? We do, Allison. I mean, Trump's team is scrambling. They had been expecting potentially an indictment um, at some point, but I spoke with some of his advisors tonight and they said that they were, quote, blindsided by the fact that it came this evening. So uh, they're really scrambling right now. And I'll also just add that I'd actually say increasingly in the past several days, given that there hadn't been an indictment from the grand jury, I think that Trump and his team had increasingly been thinking, maybe this isn't going to happen after all. We also saw Donald Trump on Truth Social say in the last 48 hours uh, that he has great respect for the grand jury and, and seemed to believe, and he projected this himself on Truth Social, that he seemed to believe that maybe they were second guessing a potential indictment. Of course, that did not happen. Now, I'll also say that Donald Trump, as much as he is projecting confidence and thinks that he's going to be come out on top of this, we saw this in his statement tonight. He argued that he thinks he'll be victorious in the end. This is a really jarring moment for him. He has not been arrested before. He's, I think, really scared of actually having to go through this process. And as much as him and his team are saying that they're projecting confidence, it is a scary moment. And I remember it reminds me of just thinking about this, all of this coming out tonight, it reminds me of my reporting during Donald Trump's first impeachment when even though a lot of his allies thought that a potential impeachment trial would be potentially politically beneficial to him, he did not want to have an impeached president on his resume. And it's very similar, I think, right now, as much as I think a lot of people are arguing that potentially this indictment could po- politically benefit him in the long run, he doesn't want to be indicted. And he's going to say otherwise publicly. He's going to say otherwise to reporters. But at the end of the day, he's been trying to avoid an arrest and indictments for the past several decades. And I think it's really a scary moment for him tonight. Hmm. Elena, Caitlin, thank you very much for your reporting. I want to bring in now CNN legal analyst Jennifer Rogers, a former U.S. attorney, also former Congressman Max Rose and Lee Zeldin are back with us. We're joined by Elsie Granderson, an op-ed columnist for the Los Angeles Times. Thanks so much for being here tonight. So, Jen, this this had been this widely anticipated moment, and then it had sort of simmered down over the past couple of days, and then it was back tonight, and it really happened. Given everything that you've heard, Michael Cohen was on earlier with us live, everything that you know about this case, do you think it's a strong case? Uh, I do think it's a strong case. And it's not only because of the fact that they have Michael Cohen and David Pecker as two strong witnesses, they have documents and so on, but I believe in Alvin Bragg and his team. I mean, these guys are smart people. And if they say that this legal theory 
to the extent that this is what we think it's going to be, right, the hush money payments uh, with the campaign finance enhancement to the misdemeanor making it a felony, uh, they're the experts in New York state law. There's a first time for everything. So all of these kind of questions about is it the right legal theory? You know, is Michael Cohen going to be destroyed on the stand? Like, I think that they know what they're doing. I think they got this. So I do think it's a strong case. Congressman, your thoughts? You know, this is a moment in time right now where we have to ask ourselves questions we've never asked ourselves before. If Donald Trump stays as a candidate, which he most certainly will, now his chances of winning the primary have dramatically increased. Will we actually have a presidential election where one of the candidates is standing trial? What happens if he's convicted? These questions that we are, does does the Secret Service escort him from prison if he wins? I mean, I'll leave the legal analysis to you, but thinking politically now, it is awfully scary. And I say this as a Democrat, we need to be judicious. We need to make sure that this process is separated from politics. And we have to make sure that we are considering the answers to these questions every single step of the way, because nothing is for certain any longer. LZ, your thoughts tonight? You know, Omar Little from The Wire had a phrase that everyone likes to repeat, which is, if you come for the king, you best not miss. So I'm going to assume, like everyone else, he has seen The Wire. He knows that quote. And so the DA has enough information that he doesn't think he's going to miss. Because to your point, if he does miss, if he goes after Donald Trump and it comes out to be weak or flat or found not to be guilty, I don't know if that's going to be sail or wind beneath his wings to help him get to the White House. But what it will do is put even more question into our judicial system, which we cannot afford to have considering what the Supreme Court looks like and also considering what the federal court looks like because of all the appointees from the previous president. Congressman? A lot of people are going to view this as a political prosecution. Uh, I have a slightly different view of Alvin Bragg. Uh, He is somebody on his first day that he came into office, he issued his day one memo, all different kinds of crimes across the board. He said that he would not charge a bunch of other offenses. He said he would treat us lesser included Some of offenses. those, he's, I, I feel like you and I have had this conversation. Some of those he said were outdated. One of the crimes was adultery. He's no longer going to prosecute. Some of them he was doing this because they were outdated. I feel like sometimes Republicans... <laughs> well, I mean, it's I'm, a good thing he didn't <laughs> include adultery because <laughs> that indictment could be a little bit longer. <laughs> my, point, my point is is that it's not. he didn't do this about murder. He didn't do this about... Um, you know, really violent. Crimes. So, well, a couple things on that. One is, my opinion is, if you're the district attorney and you don't like all these different laws, you go up to the state legislature and you say, we need to change the law, in my opinion. You don't just decide, I'm just not going to prosecute any of these offenses. Secondly, there's also been an issue on the specific application of the law in individual cases. The Jose Alba case, for example, this Dominican-American, he works at a bodega in Manhattan, he gets attacked, he's defending himself. Alvin Bragg sends Jose Alba to Rikers Island, asked for hundreds of thousands of dollars of bail. Uh, He had an open stab wound at the time. The person who stabbed him never got charged with anything. You can analyze that case all different kinds of ways. Or the the axe thrower on Delancey Street at the McDonald's in lower Manhattan who went swinging at customers and and tables and walls and ended up getting released uh, a moment after he got arrested and essentially was laughing it all off and got interviewed by the media uh, the next day, and it was, it was bragging about how he carries his hatchet around with him. So I, I think that there is a, a perception issue that you're not, you're not dealing with a law and order prosecutor. Now, there are other people out there who are defending Alvin Bragg, and, and I get it. Um, I'm just saying that there are some people who have been pretty critical of Alvin Bragg, and by the way, I'm one of them. 
Are you upset at open carry hatchets, but not open carry guns? Is that what I just heard? Uh, well, in, if you show up with a hatchet into McDonald's and you I'm start just, swinging it at customers, I'm just, I, would, I just picked up on the open hatchet sort of issue. And I, you that's, start hitting that seems tables, new to me. and you end up getting instantly released back out on the street. And by the way, if he was out there with, uh, you know, with any type of a weapon, uh, I would say that you shouldn't be instantly released right, uh, right back out on the street. I would say one thing, by the way, on the politics. Yeah. Uh, if if I was Donald Trump on Tuesday, I would go on on a plane to wherever I could get you know a record sized crowd and and show strength. He is running. I agree with Max that he is actually going to end up. I believe as far as the Republican primary goes, I think he's going to become stronger because of it. I think he's more likely to become well, the nominee. What does that say about Republican voters if he becomes stronger after an indictment? Well, th- there's a belief that's a political prosecution. That, I understand that. He's being that. targeted. My, so my, it, my whole thing about the witch hunt is don't be a witch. So if it's a witch hunt, which, you know, we could argue, but he's still a witch, well, right? Here's <laughs> the thing about this political prosecution argument. If Alvin Bragg is bringing this because Donald Trump is a Republican, that is so dumb. And I will tell you, Alvin is not dumb. And the reason it's dumb is because when you go to court and you're in front of this jury, you don't get to tell them, ladies and gentlemen, he's a Republican. He has these terrible draconian policies. Let's please convict him on that basis. You have to bring facts. You have to use the law. You have to convince 12 jurors beyond a reasonable doubt unanimously. You don't get to use politics. So if you do that in the charging and you can't do that in the trial, it doesn't work. He hasn't done it. That's a fantastic point. And I would say that obviously a cornerstone of our constitutional democracy is an independent, trustworthy judiciary that has the faith and confidence of the people. Now, it is imperative, and we have controls, as you just mentioned. They're known as a court of law for our prosecutors to have checks and balances. But what's also critical is that our elected leaders express faith and confidence in the integrity of our system because we cannot look at this case in a silo. Every single person now that is arraigned or prosecuted or charged by the Manhattan District Attorney or District Attorneys across the country, we cannot have people saying, well, that was a Democrat, that was a Republican, that's not what this country is based on. And that's why it is disappointing, the rhetoric being used by Republicans right now charging this as political when they do not actually have any evidence that it is political in nature, other than the fact that Alvin Bragg's a Democrat and Donald Trump is a Republican. I I would just add add to that, though. I mean, Alvin Bragg, before he even took office, he was saying that he was going to make this a personal top priority of his. I mean, when you were interviewing Michael Cohen just a little while ago, he was telling you about his meetings directly with Alvin Bragg over and over and over again. I think he said something like 10 times. So Alvin Bragg personally, before he even took office, before he even knew what the angle was going to be, which was part of the, you know, the CNN stories from 2021, as he was talking about this case, uh, he didn't even he wasn't even yet briefed on the case. And he was talking about how, how going after Donald Trump was going to be his highest priority. I mean, it, it is just so fascinating that I had the basis of the argument in support of Donald Trump has actually nothing to do with the merits of the case. In fact, the entire Republican leadership wants to avoid discussing the actual case and wants to go after the prosecutor. And that very fact alone shows that as they want to avoid the prosecutor. As someone who so, really has been in and out of the court system my entire life. I mean, and that's not an exaggeration. What, 1970s, he was brought on trial? Like, so this is someone who's been a celebrity and has been dealing with the court system my entire life. So the idea that someone who was born and raised in New York, like the DA, 
wouldn't have that information as well as long as everyone else knowing you're right. This could be politically motivated on the outside looking in. But we also know we're dealing with someone with a long history of having a disregard for the law. But none of that should be relevant to none bringing this. None of it should this. be. But, but you do see other court cases bring up the previous cases that defendants have had. So if you have been charged with something, a crime, for instance, right? And we have a legal analyst right here who can certainly back me up on this. If you have a prior record with similar crimes, they will bring that up to help support the case that there's a, there's a pattern there. No, not unless the person testifies. I mean, if Donald Trump can't help himself and he gets on the stand, then it's uh, more or less fair game with some of his prior bad acts, but otherwise, usually not. All right. Friends, thank you very much. Stick around, everybody, because up next, Donald Trump's former lawyer and self-described fixer, who we were just talking about, Michael Cohen, he testified in the Manhattan DA's investigation multiple times. He spoke to Don Lemon and me tonight, and our interview with him is right after this. We'll bring in more carbs. All right, Donald Trump's indictment by a Manhattan grand jury was anticipated for weeks, but still tonight it caught many people by surprise, including, according to sources, the former president himself. One person who was not surprised was Michael Cohen. Don Lemon and I sat down with Trump's former attorney, Cohen, and he is candid about this case, his own conviction, and he talks about how he thinks Donald Trump is reacting tonight behind closed doors. I do truly believe that this case is very different than the way that so many of these talking heads want to declare. I mean, how many people have been on this station sitting there? Oh, Michael Cohen's a convicted perjurer. Yes, that happens to be accurate. Yes. Right? I did. I pled guilty to 1,001 and violations. And does that make the case more on, on more flimsy grounds? No. No. Why? Well, first of all, you have to finish the sentence. And what's the sentence? The sentence that you have to finish is, which I did at the direction of, in coordination with, and for the benefit of Donald J. Trump. So, yes, I was in the camp, and yes, I made a misstatement. I lied. However, what was the lie? The lie was the number of times that I spoke to Donald Trump about the failed Trump Tower Moscow um, deal. I had told the Senate Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence that it was 10 times. I'm sorry, three times. When, in fact, the real answer was I had told him 10 times. You know who else is talking about this? Donald Trump. So today he put out a fundraising email tonight, I should say, after this information came out. And he basically said in this email to his supporters, uh, Alvin Bragg is relying on the testimony of a convicted felon and a disbarred lawyer. So what is your response to Donald Trump tonight? Well, he's right. I am a convicted felon. I am a disbarred lawyer. But I also brought the documents uh, there's plenty of testimony, corroborating testimony to go around. And come how Tuesday... How do you know that the, all these witnesses were corroborating your testimony? Um, let's just say I know. Uh, I was there 22 times, so there's things that I, that I know, things that I believe um, corroborate. And at the end of the day, we have an indictment today. Yeah. So clearly, that means that the information provided was more than enough for the grand jury to come back with a determination for an indictment. Oh, by the way, for Donald, since we're talking about convicted felons, see you on Tuesday, pal. We've also learned today that the DA was looking into the payment to Karen McDougal. So she is the 
Playboy model who also alleges that she had an affair with Donald Trump. So did you provide documents and testimony about that? Yeah, I can't tell you what I provided, but I can tell you that that is an accurate statement. They're looking into both. Yes. How about your conversations with between yourself and David Pecker? Like I said, I really don't want to go into the sum and substance of any of the conversations, the documents and so on, other than to say, again, these prosecutors, they've been working on this case a long time. Not only did they work themselves incredibly hard, but there was a significant amount of information that was left over from the previous investigation. They're very, very knowledgeable about all of the alleged uh, counts against Donald Trump. There, there is an audio tape of you speaking with Donald Trump about these payments. So let's remind everybody about that conversation. I need to open up a company for the transfer of all of that info regarding our friend David. So I'm, I'm all over that. And I spoke to Alan about it when it comes time for the financing, which will be... Listen, what financing? We'll have to... Michael, honestly, it doesn't sound as though Donald Trump is giving you instructions there. It sounds like you're giving him instructions. You're saying, here's what, how it's going to go. I have, he, you know, he says, is it going to be cash? You say, no, no, I've got it all covered. So were there more payments made like this? Right. Again, you're, you're going into the sum and substance of conversations that I may or may not have had with the district attorneys well, this um, is about Donald Trump. Did you a, have how many conversations like this did you have one, with Donald Trump? One. It's the one and only recording that I ever had of Donald Trump. But conversations, forget the recorded part. I've had many conversations about with, payments to not, with Donald Trump. Again, you're going in a very clever way, Allison. You're going into again conversations that I may or may not have had with the district attorneys. And to be very honest with you, I don't want to provide Donald or his team with any insight yet into what's coming. I want him to be able to enjoy it. Personally, I don't want to see him paraded that way. Remember, because he's a former president of the United States, because I actually care more about the office of the presidency of the United States than he does. I don't want to see this made into the laughingstock of the world. He was still a former president. I mean, these aren't the things that these are the things that you see from other countries like Venezuela. Right. I mean, you don't expect to see the former. This is a first time ever in the history of this country that a president, former president, has been indicted. This is unprecedented. And the more that we keep this, we'll call it classy, the better it is for our position in the world. Well, on that personal note, Michael, obviously you know or knew Donald Trump very well, worked with them very closely for many years. What's he doing tonight? Behind the scenes, how is he handling something like this tonight? He's seething. And to the world, he wants to again appear to have this thick skin. He's not thick-skinned. Right. I think we've also saw that during the, um, uh, what was it, the correspondence dinner. He is not thick-skinned. He's actually very thin-skinned, and he has a very fragile ego. This is his biggest fear, that he will be mugshotted, and that you know he's going to now have an F, a felony, next to his name. These are not things that Donald Trump ever thought in his entire life, nor I, for that matter, that he would ever be confronted with. He's seething right now because of all of the mistakes that so many people that were around him have made from Jared all the way to Steve Bannon, Steve Miller, you know, to this whole clown car of, you know, of, you know, constituents that paraded around him. He's seething because all the all the advice that they gave 
now landed him here. All right, I want to bring back my panel, Jennifer LZ, Max Rose, and Lee Zeldin. Jennifer, it's interesting, as always, to listen to Michael Cohen. And some of, well, all of Donald Trump's supporters and attorneys have described him as a sketchy witness, can't be trusted. But nobody knows this case, I mean, what we believe is this case in terms of the payment to Stormy Daniels, better than Michael Cohen. When you listen to him, do you think that he'll be a good witness? Well, you know, I hate listening to him on the air because, of course, if you're the prosecutor, you want your witness not to be speaking in public about the subject of your testimony. But I will say this. It is not at all uncommon to have a witness who was part of the criminal activity at one point and then later, whether because you brought charges against them or you threatened to bring charges against them or they saw the light some other way, came on board Team USA or Team Manhattan DA in this case, started telling the truth. And then testifies. It's very, very common. You know, you tell them in summation, you know, I'd like to have Mother Teresa or I'd like to have, you know, rabbis and imams and and priests and so on as my witnesses. But I don't. You know who I have? I have criminals because the criminals are the ones that can tell you what happened inside of the criminal organization. And that's what we have here. Yes, he was a liar. Yes, he lied on behalf of Donald Trump. And then he started telling the truth. And when he started telling the truth, he was consistent from then on about exactly what he said. And he's the one who can give you the bird's eye view into what happened in a way that the law-abiding rest of us cannot because we weren't there and we didn't see it. So that's how you have to think of it. And that's how you tell it to the jury. Remembering, though, that in order to get them to believe him, you, of course, have to corroborate what he tells them with the documents, with the other witnesses and so on. Congressman, what did you hear when you listened to him? First of all, I can't get enough of Michael Cohen's accent, you know, the, the perjurer. Uh, but, but, the, but, you know, it, I, I do think, though, he's getting something wrong about Donald Trump. And I had a few interactions with him, not uh, as many as, as Lee has had. But what struck me when I interacted uh, with Donald Trump is that he is a true believer in the conspiracy theories and the extremist views that guide his governing philosophy and his policy beliefs. And I do truly believe at this point that he believes that we as a country are at civil war between red and blue and that he is under attack by the left. And in a sense, I think that he is becoming increasingly motivated by that, not fearful. And that's what I find so frightening right now, because there is this potential that January 6th was a prelude. We have to constantly think back to that. And I appreciate at the very beginning of this segment that Congressman Zeldin called again for peaceful expressions of protest if those moments of protest come about, because Donald Trump certainly will not call for that. Congressman, what did you hear? I thought it was a really good interview, uh, and I'm glad it was extended. It did a great job, and, and it gives you a little taste of what cross-examination may be like. Uh, when you're in that grand jury room, uh, you don't have the defense there putting on their case, cross-examining witnesses. Uh, the burden of proof is a, a lot less. Uh, and when you actually have your day in court, because you're innocent until you're proven guilty, and you get to cross-examine the witness, we'll see how they do. I, I thought, for example, you're playing the one recorded conversation between the two and pointing out that Donald Trump says, you know, paying cash. And it's actually Michael Cohen who's saying, no, there's another way of doing this. Uh, I'm sure that there's plenty of follow-up questions that a a defense attorney would want to be able to ask on a cross-examination to to learn more um, and only ask questions, obviously, you know the answer to. And and if it's a really skilled cross-examination, what does it end up doing with a witness who, by the way, also says to you, 
yes, I am a convicted felon. I mean, that's just true. <laughs> right. And uh, and for a jury, ultimately, and good luck finding a jury in this particular case. Uh, that's going to be quite a process of, of going through those candidates. Uh, it, it's going to come down to a jury to decide. Um, but I think it's important that uh, both sides, both the government gets to make their case and the defense gets to make their case, uh, which is a little bit different than what you see in a grand jury uh, proceeding. Elsie? You know, I disagree with Michael when it comes to how this is going to be perceived by the world. You know, there's this idea that democracy and American exceptionalism are one and the same, and they're not. Democracy is a form of government, and then we have our former perspective that we have American exceptionalism. American exceptionalism is embarrassed to have a president be in jail. Democracy shouldn't be. Democracy should want someone who's broken the law to pay for it. That's what this is about. And so what we as a country have to decide is what's more important to us, how we look to the world or what we do and say to the world through our actions. Because if we truly believe in democracy and we really believe in the rule of law, then prove that no one's above the law by going through this process and not being embarrassed that the world is seeing democracy at work. Friends, thank you all very much for those perspectives. So very few people have been so close to historic moments like this. Next, I'll speak with one of them. Former Nixon White House counsel John Dean is going to weigh in on what's happened tonight and Trump's event. Donald Trump was indicted this afternoon by a Manhattan grand jury. What does this mean for history and what happens next? Let's bring in former Nixon White House counsel, John Dean. John, uh, great to see you. As always, your thoughts about what's happened today. It was a remarkable day because we've been close before. We've never crossed the line and actually had an indictment. Richard Nixon, they got as far as drafting one. They were going to charge him with obstruction of justice and bribery for the cover-up. Uh, but then he was pardoned and that ended the drafting drill. So that's as close as we got with Nixon. With, with uh, Bill Clinton, there was talk of it. The special prosecutor, Robert Ray, uh, let him know that he was subject to an indictment. But they backed off and got a deal beforehand. So we've never been here before. This is a new page in American history. And is this bad for American history or good for American history? We were just having this debate on our panel. LZ was saying that, you know, this is what democracy is. But of course, it is unsettling to see a former U.S. president be indicted. It's unsettling, but it's not the first public figure or presidential uh, aspirant or senator or member of the, uh, the House or judge or what have you to be indicted. So our, all our other public figures have indeed been subject to the criminal justice process. Only a president so far, and that's probably because of mostly good behavior, uh, has never been indicted. So uh, that is the new phase we're into. And Mr. Trump has more looking at him right now than the one that we think is coming down very quickly. Well, the other theory um, not, is not based on good behavior, but that presidents aren't indicted. I mean, that, that, you know, there's, as you know, there's a whole school of thought that you can't indict a president. And I will remind you of Richard Nixon's philosophy on this when he sat down with David Frost. So let's just listen to that in 1977. Well, when the president does it, that means that it is not illegal. By definition. Exactly. 
And I think that it's possible that Donald Trump has shared some of those feelings. <laughs> I'm sure he does share that belief, uh, but I think he's wrong. I know Nixon was wrong, and but for a pardon, he would have had the personal experience of testing that philosophy and finding it wouldn't work. Uh, I think I think it is good for democracy to have this happen. I think a, a president has to be as accountable as everybody else to the criminal justice system or the whole system breaks down. It, there's a terrible hypocrisy in the system that shouldn't exist. So I, I think it's, by and large, it's going, to be, uh, it's going to be a circus at times, but I think it's going to be boring at times. Criminal justice does grind slowly, but I think it's going to be good for the rule of law, which is the basis of our democracy. As you know, um, this is not the only investigation that Donald Trump is a part of. Uh, there's one going on in Georgia about interference into the election results there. The special counsel in Washington is looking into January 6th and the planning of that or the knowledge of that. And so some uh, legal analysts have suggested that this one is the least serious of those and shouldn't be the first. Your thoughts about that? Well, we didn't have any control over what was first. I agree that there would have been other cases. The uh, the uh, special counsel's cases are much more serious crimes. The the federal government takes very serious the protection of national security information. That's a that is something that uh, high officials have been uh, uh, been charged with and been held responsible for. The January sixth is so unique. We've never had an insurrection in this country in modern times, so it's necessary to get to the bottom of it and hold those at the top as responsible as the thousands at the bottom who are being held responsible. And I, I think that's uh, going to come out very soon. Uh, we don't know exactly how far Jack Smith is on his investigation, but we certainly know he has expedited the proceedings since he's arrived. As far as Georgia, I think that could happen any day now. And it's going to be, it looks, given the time she's taking on it, like it's going to be a very broad-based case. Uh, as I expect, the 34-count uh, the indictment in New York will be a speaking indictment. I think all these indictments will tell the public exactly why this president, former president, is being held responsible. And that's healthy for the system. Hmm. Um, as you know, Donald Trump is no stranger to using incendiary rhetoric. He, um, he warned of death and destruction if he was indicted. Do you worry about what happens next in terms of protests or them getting to them even becoming violent? I do worry because we know in the past it has provoked his most zealous of supporters to, to take to the streets and take action and violent action. So there is that prospect. But I also think because January 6th happened and the results have been uh, steady since the uh, events over the last year or so, uh, they, that we've seen the Department of Justice move. We've seen the criminal justice system at work. And I think a lot of people who might have otherwise have had a visceral reaction to go protect their president, Donald Trump, are going to have second thoughts. Uh, do they want to go to jail for him? And not so many are, are showing signs of protest. So I think his call to his, his uh, supporters to come out and somehow exercise their displeasure with his plight 
uh, may not hit the resonance it did uh, over a year ago when he did it before. Let's hope. Uh, John Dean, thank you. Great to see you and get your perspective. Thank you. We, of course, live in a country that is very divided. Will Donald Trump's indictment make those divisions even wider? We'll talk about that next. President Trump's vice president, Mike Pence, talking to CNN's Wolf Blitzer tonight and calling the indictment of his former boss an outrage. I think the unprecedented indictment of a former president of the United States on a campaign finance issue is an outrage. I'm back now with Jennifer Rogers, Max Rose, Lee Zeldin and Elsie Granderson. I wasn't kidding, Elsie. He called it an outrage right there. He did. Who's his people? Huh? Like who, who, what's his lane? Yeah, where, 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 where is, who is he hoping to appeal to? Congressman, have any thoughts on that? Well, sure. I mean, he's uh, he comes from a base out of Indiana, right? But when uh, he, so that region of the country, when he was picked, his poll numbers as governor were like sub fifty percent. Like he wasn't liked at the end before he became VP. Hmm. Yo, he has solid conservative views. There's a lane with. Uh, some of the more religious members of the Republican Party on some of the, the social issues. Uh, his polling, it seems like it's been coming back, poll to poll, somewhere around the you know 7% or so range. Uh, and it's just a really difficult lane, though, when you look at all the other candidates. And I would actually say that as each additional candidate comes into the race, that probably helps Donald Trump more. Like a Nikki Haley coming in the race probably pulls more support from a Ron DeSantis than from a Donald Trump. So if I'm Donald Trump in some odd way, I'd probably want as many of these candidates in the race as possible because they're splitting the rest of the vote. It worked the first time around. Listen, regarding Mike Pence, of course, when your base is morally upright evangelicals, you come out and defend the guy who paid off uh, (laughs) porn star involved in your affair. That makes perfect political sense, only in the age of Donald Trump. But here's the thing. Every politician or aspiring to politician every morning gets press clips. This is news of relevance to them. It used to be manually clipped, and then it became, obviously, digitized. And politicians prefer that they be in those press clips. And right now, every single Republican politician, the only way that they're going to get in the press with this case right now and everything in the news being Donald Trump is by defending Donald Trump. And what's crazy about that is that when Donald Trump gets indicted again in several weeks, they will be unable to differentiate between the two and they will defend Donald Trump yet again, despite the fact that he's caught on tape actively trying to bend an election in his favor and disrupt our democracy. But why can't Republicans be in the news by saying, I totally support this, um, you know, let the law uh act as it should, and I support this adjudication. Like, why wouldn't they be in the news for that? You're 100% right. They would. In fact, they would make all of the news in that case. And I'm very surprised that there has not been one uh, Republican primary candidate right now, presidential candidate, who's gone out and done that. I think that there's actually a lane for that right now. It's amazing. He's outraged by an indictment that he has not seen. He's outraged by a case that he knows nothing about. I mean, this is 
ludicrous. Like, why can't they say, let's wait and see what the charges are? This is a, a charge. These charges are brought against people every day. This is not made up for Donald Trump. So it's good enough for everyday Americans like you and me, but it's not it's not okay for the former president. I don't know why people think that that's a good message. This is why I, I was curious about where's his people? What's, what is his lane? Because you're right. I'm sure there are some evangelicals who would still support him. In fact, uh, I live in Texas. Mike Pence came through a church a couple months ago. It was packed. He was selling his books. So there is an evangelical base still for him. But then as you begin to peel back the layers of the last four years in the White House, you ask yourself, is this the best we can do as an evangelical? If he doesn't testify, where's the courage? Like, I'm, I'm just sitting here, like, going, what's the play here, man? Right. Because right now, it looks like you're spinning your wheels. But, but Congressman, let me ask you this, because I, you're somebody who does think that this is political, a political prosecution, as we are hearing so many Republicans say. Would you feel the same way if Hillary Clinton or Bill Clinton paid hush money to someone who wanted to come out with a dirty story about them a few weeks before an election? First thought is that this wouldn't be the, the case. This wouldn't be your strongest argument against... Hillary Clinton, or if you wanted to go there, this would be your strongest argument against a Joe Biden. And by the way, if, if, a, if this was a Republican district attorney somewhere yeah. who was getting an indictment against Joe Biden, yeah. uh, there would be a whole lot of people who are very happy with this particular indictment who would be outraged otherwise. I would say if we're playing the hypothetical game of the different possible charges, I don't think that this would be the one that you would go at and say, you know, it's a hush money case is the way to go after a Hillary Clinton or a Joe Biden. It was an interesting uh, interview with Van Jones uh, a couple of hours ago where he was saying that he's a little bit torn. Mm -hmm. And in one respect, you know, the, the voice on one of his shoulders, he was you know, talking about how he feels great just that there is an indictment. And you know what? There are people in this country who just don't like Donald Trump, and they're just happy that there they is. Want an indictment, not because they don't like him, because they feel that there has been accountability for the stuff that they feel he has done that's been illegal. Right, and in in that particular case, it, it's it almost just doesn't seem like whatever you want to charge him with, it, like it, it doesn't matter. It's just it just it, charge him with something, indict I, him with something. I, I think there is a passion to see him get charged with something because they want him to be held accountable for something. I don't think those two ideas are, are separate at all. I do think there is a hunger there, and maybe that hunger does blind people a little bit who are on the far left, who, are, who can't stand Donald Trump. But that's still separate from the fact that he could be guilty, and I don't think you should conflate the two. And yes. that's not the district attorney, because they have to go in front of the jury and prove this case with evidence on the law. You don't get to do it with, like, don't we all hate Donald Trump? Let's convict. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. I, I mean, the thing is, that there's two cases right now, right? One in which it involves an exchange of money and an affair, and the other in which the former president of the United States legitimately subverted our constitutional democracy. Any rational human being would rather be have the constitutional democracy case be front and center. And I'm actually certain that most Republicans would agree with that. But you can't have both. You can't say that one case is more legitimate than the other and also say that there's some nefarious democratic conspiracy at play right now. If there were, obviously, the Georgia case would be coming first right now. So what is happening right now is the disjointed, decentralized process of law and order in the United States of America. And we have to let it play out. Thank you all very much. Thank you for your expertise. Great to get all of your different perspectives. We will see what happens next week. Uh, one more legal story for you tonight. There's a verdict in the Gwyneth Paltrow ski collision trial. Yay. 
That's next. <laughs> Before we go, we have to tell you that Gwyneth Paltrow is innocent. A Utah jury finding the Oscar-winning actress not at fault over that crash with another skier in 2016. Was Gwyneth Paltrow at fault? No. Was Gwyneth Paltrow's fault a cause of Terry Sanderson's harm? Oh, no. There's just no response there. Okay. Was Terry Sanderson at fault? Yes. Was Terry Sanderson's fault a cause Gwyneth Paltrow's... Did, um, did Terry Sanderson's fault cause Gwyneth Paltrow's harm? Yes. Comparative fault. What percent of the fault do you assign to Terry Sanderson? 100%. Paltrow was awarded $1. That was the amount she requested in her countersuit, plus attorney's fees. In an Instagram post tonight, Paltrow wrote, quote, I felt that acquiescing to a false claim compromised my integrity. I'm pleased with the outcome, and I appreciate all of the hard work of Judge Holmberg and the jury and thank them for their thoughtfulness in handling this case, end quote. And as Paltrow left the courtroom after the verdict, she touched the other skier, Terry Sanderson, on the shoulder and said, I wish you well. He responded, thank you, dear. Maybe we can all get along. Of course, the other big legal news, Donald Trump was indicted. Sources say that he's facing more than 30 counts. New information keeps coming in here, so make sure you keep it here tonight. CNN This Morning will have all of the new details for you. Don, Poppy, and Caitlin are starting an hour early at 5 a.m. Eastern. Thanks so much for watching tonight. Our coverage continues now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.